Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalms. We'll be reading uh, chapter 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministries, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all the places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. The word of the Lord. Uh, my name is Brian Sorgan Fry, and I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, it is really good to have you, especially if you are a visitor or uh, uh, are just checking in with us. Uh, it's really a privilege to have you, and if there is anything that we can do for you, uh, please let us know. Uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, okay, so it's a new year, so there's so much talk about kind of discipline and changes and what could this look like, and... Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, done a deep dive into what it takes to be a Navy SEAL. Uh, But right, this is what we all think. Just three quick changes. I could be a Navy SEAL this year. And uh, mine came when I I read the book uh, Lone Survivor, which I think has been made into a movie. It's about uh, Marcus Luttrell and, and his story. But the whole first half spends its time diving into what's called BUDS and the training it takes for them to become a Navy SEAL. And what you begin to realize in the second half of the story, which outlines their just incredible mission in Afghanistan, is you realize all this discipline, all these just insane circumstances and buds, just sleepless nights and cold oceans and all this stuff, it actually was laying a foundation. Because there's no way that you could go through you know, every scenario you might encounter as a Navy SEAL. That'd be impossible. But what they did through these disciplines had prepared a foundation that no matter what they came upon, no matter what circumstance came to them, they actually were prepared. 
And the whole kind of book outlines that. It's amazing because a foundation had been laid. And what I want to suggest is that's the principle that's at work in Psalm 103. That the speci- Look, when we think about 2023 and the specifics of what that might bring to each of our lives and the places we find ourselves, there is a, a we don't know. And all of our situations are going to be so varied and complex and unique that there's no way that you can go over each scenario. But what Psalm 103 does and what King David does in the psalm is he's inviting us to see that there are two actually foundational principles or exercises, if you want to put it that way. I don't know if, that's, if you're allergic to that language. But to make you ready to build a foundation for whatever scenario comes. And those two dis- disciplines are blessing and remembering. That's my premise this morning. That's what I'm pitching to you, that wherever you find yourself this morning, whether you're sad, whether you're feeling shame, whether you're lonely, whether you're full of joy, and no matter what lies over the horizon in in 2023, we are actually called to bless and to remember. Those two disciplines, if you want to put them that way. So, Look at verse one. Uh, It's a Psalm of David. It's written by him, but really to understand how the Psalm works, how it instructs us, you got to see who David is talking to or who he's addressing. In verse one, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So who is David talking to as he writes? Like, who is he addressing? Because he's not even talking to God, though he's certainly aware of his presence. He actually is talking to himself, right? He's speaking to his own soul. And I I admit that that can sound kind of odd, but I think the more you think about it, we all do this, right? This is a somewhat common experience in the Sorgan Fry house. I'll be in the kitchen on Saturday morning. We have this kind of playroom that's kind of up the stairs above our garage. And sometimes I'll hear, I I proved this with my son. I'll hear my nine-year-old Clark he will start, uh, you know, he's playing PlayStation or something, and he will start yelling things like, come on, you can do it. This is the big play. We can do this. And I will think, oh, I guess one of the neighbors wandered over. Like, that happens all the time. And I'll say, Clark, who, like, who's over? Who are you playing with? And he says, nobody. I'm like, well, who are you talking to? He says, myself. <laughs> And what he is doing, right, is he's taking like a truth into himself to try to inspire himself. He's talking it into himself. We actually see athletes do all this time. But actually, if you think about it, we do it all the time. It might not be audible, but we are always telling ourselves something to drive it into the center of our being, to inspire, to motivate, to bring us to action. And what David is doing is he's talking into his soul. He's talking into the very center of himself, and he's actually arguing with his soul. And he's saying, soul, bless the Lord. And then you'll see he's making himself remember. And those two things, and I hope you'll hear watch those two things we're going to come back to. But let's just walk through those two. That's our outline, to bless and to remember. So verse 1, he tells himself to bless the Lord with all that is within me. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Like the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, the word is just, it's the same word for eulogy, okay? We think eulogy is a funeral, but it just means to say, to speak a good word. And so David really is saying, no matter the situation that you find yourself in this morning, 
no matter the feeling or place you find yourself somewhere in 2023, he is actually saying we always need to speak a good word to the Lord, that we always need to give thanks to him, that, I, that to, we need to see that we're dependent on him and he is worthy of our praise to actually turn our focus to pleasing him. Now, I feel like I need to say that if you're relatively new to Christ's prayers or you're visiting, I, again, I'm so glad you're here. But I feel like I need to say this because if this is your first time, it can, I mean, it can sound like saying we always need to bless the Lord. It, can, it could come across as making it sound like the Christian life is shallow. Some kind of, um, you know, no sadness, avoid pain, uh, you know, too blessed to be stressed, something like that, you know. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that is fundamentally not true, okay? That scripture in the Christian life is actually filled with deep sadness, disappointment, fear, guilt, all those kind of things. And the Psalms, if you like to read them, meet you in those places and gives you words to cry out and to trust the Lord. But this is calling us to, no matter the situation, to have an overarching posture of blessing the Lord, praising him with all the, within all the complexity of life. Why? Because it actually shapes us. This, this, it actually reorient, reorients us into how God made us to be. Here's what I mean. We naturally come into this world with our soul shaped by something, all of us. And it's called sin. And we can just this morning think of sin as being selfish. And so Martin Luther said that what sin does is it curves us in on ourselves. So that what we naturally think is that we're the center of the world. That life is about me. That the world, everyone else, and God exists for me and my needs. And it's a shaping of the soul that we are all infected with, all of us. And it actually corrupts us foundationally. Here's what I mean. My uh, friend Sean Slate pointed this out. Okay, think about it this way. I'm going to use Harry Potter as an illustration, okay? It is the number one best-selling uh, book series of all time, okay? So it, if you haven't read it, that's okay, I think. But you'll still get this illustration, all right? So imagine that you were to read Harry Potter, from the perspective of Draco Malfoy, Draco is the nemesis of Harry, okay? He's in line with Voldemort, who's the source of, you know, and, and kind of the, the, the villain of evil and all that. So if you were to read the story from Draco's perspective as if he sees everything correctly, here's what you would find in, in uh, Harry Potter. That Dumbledore is the supreme bad wizard, the one who's trying to keep people from life, and Voldemort is the symbol of goodness, that's trying to free people and bring goodness. You would see, you would think that Gryffindor is terrible. That's the tribe that Harry's a part of. And Slytherin is always good. All right. And you would think that Harry and his best friends, Ron and Hermione, they are power hungry, self-righteous hypocrites. Okay. But here's the deal. You'd be reading the same events, but it would be a completely different story. Because it would be from Malfoy's perspective. And so it would actually be impossible to square with your understanding of the whole series. Because it started in the wrong place with the wrong perspective. Does that make sense? And see, the shaping of our soul that's inherent to us called sin, what it does is mean we do not start neutral in our view of the world. Everything is oriented around me. 
that in my relation to others, the world, and God. And so that begins to corrupt everything. Like think about sadness, okay? If, when we encounter sadness, sadness is a very good thing. The Psalms talk about it all the time. Sadness is our response to when something that, that is good and you love is lost. Sadness and grief. But if I'm at the center of the story, if what shapes me foundationally is, is me, right, then sadness gets corrupted into self-pity. It has to, because instead of grieving and sadness because I've lost something good, instead, because it's simply about me, it becomes, how can I never catch a break? I know I'm not perfect, but I've tried harder than her. I may not say it, but there comes this sense of others and God will not give me the life that I deserve. And sadness has been corrupted by self-pity. Right? You go to anger. Righteous anger is a good thing. But if I'm at the center of the story, it turns anger into vengeance. And you take, you take justice into your own hands. If I'm at the center of the story, then my wants, my desires, my needs are supreme. And God and others simply exist to meet them. And so I use other people. And so the discipline of blessing the Lord, of turning in attention towards him and speaking words that are true about God and turning outward in gratitude, it actually is foundational and shapes you towards what is true and real, that God is life and he is goodness and he is upholding you. And I'm going to finish this up because you can't spend much time here, but like the key principle of blessing is this. We will never bless the Lord and others truly until we receive the fact that we have been blessed by him. Like we will actually never love the Lord and others well unless we really receive the fact that God loves us. And look, if, and it's okay, if, I'm, if, if, if praising the Lord seems foreign to me or something that's way in my past, then it means you have never, or it's been a long time since you've actually received the love of God. And David is saying, no matter the situation, you actually have bucket loads of reasons to praise him. And if it's not there, if that seems like a faint memory, okay. Psalm 103 is saying, do the next thing. What you and I need to do is to remember, to encounter for the first time or remember again the Lord and what he has done. And so the second thing that, that, that uh, David asks us to do is to remember. And this really is verse 2 through 22 is David simply practicing remembering before us. He tells us to forget not all his benefits. Why? Because the other sin that, thing that sin does, it doesn't, just, it doesn't just breed selfishness. It also makes me forget. Paul David Tripp is famous for saying that it makes us spiritual amnesiacs. And so, and so David is making himself remember God, who he is, and the benefits that he brings. And so he really is putting on display for us what it looks like to remember God. What does it mean to remember? I'm going to be teaching for just a second. Because when we say something like, ah, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. What I'm saying is I can't recall the information, Right? That's not what remember. That's what that's not what uh, not remembering in the Bible is, right? In Isaiah forty three, God says He blots out our transgressions and says He will not remember our sins. That can't mean that God does not have 
mental recall of your sin. God knows all things at all times and all places. But what it does mean is this, that if we have received Jesus and his grace, we've been covered by Jesus' life and death. And what that means is God does not bring up my sin and failure before his face so that my sin and shame is not the controlling consciousness of the way that he treats me. That's remembering. And so what David is is saying in the psalm by saying, do not forget or do the spiritual discipline of remembering, he's saying that is bringing something so central to your consciousness that it actually affects you completely. It affects your emotions, it affects your your thinking, it affects your will. It's it's like Les talks about, it's what the heart is. So one other example, C.S. Lewis talks about this, that he said, imagine that you're kind of immersed in a good book and uh, a friend kind of walks in and notices that a big hairy spider is crawling up your leg and you have no idea because you're so immersed in this book and that friend goes hey 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 there's a uh, there's a big spider uh, on your leg right and you say right big spider on my leg yeah right and then and then you jump up and you feel right what happened in those two seconds there was mental information that went in you heard but you remembered two seconds later and it compelled you to action and it controlled your emotions, right? You remembered. And the condition of sin means that we've forgotten and our hearts latch onto the wrong things. And David is walking through this psalm showing us how to remember, how to bring something into your consciousness, into your heart so that it actually emblazons a truth on it so that it slowly changes our our emotions, will, and mind. And so this whole psalm is an exercise of remembering. That's kind of what I want you to see. And it's not an abstract formula. It's actually listening to your soul, knowing yourself, knowing what's going on with you, and then seeing that you're in the presence of the Almighty God who loves you and cares for you. And you're saying, soul, look at him. Look at who he is. And so all I want to do is close in the next 10 minutes. My son asked me to be less than 30 minutes today, so I will. Um, Less than 10 minutes with, I'm just going to pick three things in the psalm that show you kind of how to remember in specific places, right? There's no way we can walk through everything. But look, look at verse 3. David tells himself to remember the benefits of God that he forgives all your iniquity. And then verse 12 He remembers as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Okay, so some of us this morning, and it will certainly be true of all of us at some points this year in 2023, you will feel guilt and shame for something that you've thought or something that you've done. So think about it. All right, if my thoughts or what I've done rightly, if it's sin, it brings guilt, yes, The question becomes, what do you do with that guilt? Because if what I remember, if what's in my foreground, what's controlling how I think and feel is my guilt, though it's real, then what becomes my posture? What do I do with this? How do I deal with this? If I'm at the center of the story, then I'm going to get defensive or I'm going to try to minimize what I said or did, or I'll hide, or I'll blame shift, or, or I'll just work harder, but it's on my shoulders, right? Because I'm remembering my guilt. And what's at the background is Jesus and what he's done and his benefits. And David is saying, remember, 
chew on this truth, like the central truth that the Lord forgives all your iniquity. He went to the cross in the person of Jesus to take our guilt and remove it forever. And so repent. We all repent and turn to him. And guilt is gone, not because I did something, but because of what Jesus did. You and I might be remembering our sin, but in Christ, God is not. So another passage put it this way, that as far as the east is from the west, that image is wonderful because think about it. If I'm looking west, I cannot look east at the same time. Impossible. And what this is saying is that when God forgives us, he puts our sin on, on one horizon and we are on the other. So when he is looking at me, my sin is behind him. He doesn't see it. He doesn't treat you according to it. He's no longer looking at it. And David is saying, remember and live out of that reality. Look at us at verse 3. He says, who heals all your diseases. Again, David is telling himself. He's remembering the benefits of God. He heals all your diseases. He cares about your suffering. Again, I really hope this doesn't come across as simplistic, okay? Uh, Because you might be in a place of tremendous suffering right now. And it might be coming in 2023. That could be physical. That could be mental suffering. But perhaps when we're in those places, what begins to come out of us, if you're like me, is fear. Fear this will never get better. Fear that it'll always be this way. Or the double suffering is fear that somehow the suffering in my life is coming to me because I messed up. And God is finally trying to get my attention. You ever had that conversation with yourself? But think about what's dictating my reality is that I'm remembering my suffering. It's not that it's not real. It's, it's very real. But that's the controlling thing. But David says, remember, he heals all your diseases. Look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. David is saying, bring to the forefront the character of God, his promises, that in the same way, but better, like a good father is with his son amidst suffering, Christ is near you in your suffering. He's with you. When I look at Jesus, I know that God, that the Lord cares about my body. He took on a body. I know he cares about my mind. He made it. He cares about my suffering. And someday, one day, he's going to heal it. But when I look at Scripture and the wisdom of God, I'm going to quote Tim Keller. I'm sure he helped with a lot of this, by the way. (laughs) He says this, Forgiveness is always immediate. With, with, with the Lord. The removal and guilt of shame is immediate, but the removal of suffering might not, might not happen immediately. Why? And it's what he says, because sin always blocks our relationship with God, but suffering can actually deepen it. And that's a really hard truth. And I hope that doesn't sound like a spiritual band-aid, but because the Bible takes suffering seriously, but he said that God is actually doing something in it. So a friend of mine, um, talks about how uh, a guy that he walked with and counseled for a while who had chronic pain. Uh, and as the Lord kept working in your life, this, this was his testimony. He said, I used to picture my pain, my chronic pain, working like this, that Jesus was in the room and he cared about me, but he was looking at my chronic pain and he was saying, man, that's got to be hard. I'm really sorry about that. And he said, as I've gotten to know Jesus better, I realized that The chronic pain, what it's like is Jesus is so close to me. He's so near me that he's saying, actually, when you hurt, I hurt. 
that I'm suffering with you, and I promise that the worst things that happen to you are going to bring about a greater good. And so when the fatherly compassion of God is what we remember, it doesn't change our suffering immediately. It doesn't change it necessarily, but it will change us because he is with you in fatherly compassion. He's not angry with you in Christ. And so whatever is happening, we can weep, we can cry out, we can long, and we can trust his wisdom. And then lastly, look at verse 6. Look how he remembers. He says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. David is telling himself to remember the benefits of God, one that is the justice of God. Why? Because everybody, again, this could be you sitting here today. It could be coming. Everybody at some level has not only sinned, but they've been sinned against. They've been hurt. And this, is re- this one is really hard. Because what about if you've been a victim of injustice? Like, what about if you've been abused? What comes out? Anger, rightly so. But if the sin and the evil done to me is the controlling center, the thing I most remember, then what that starts doing is shaping the way I view the world and the way that I view God. And what we'll begin to conclude is this, right? If the evil is the forefront, I guess Jesus is against me. Jesus could have stopped this happening to me, and he didn't. So either I deserve this, or Jesus doesn't care. Or if you're going to get an even darker place where we can sometimes get, I start thinking that there's darkness in Jesus. And that's a dark place to be. But David says, remember verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He's established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Start with who he is. So I, a story I read about, um, true story about a um, girl who had a, I will say, he had, he had an, she had an evil father, okay? And she was telling her counselor finally one time about when she was five, uh, her dad had this favorite shirt, um, and it was being washed that day, and she wanted to do something for her dad. And she knew that it was, uh, right, that had just been washed. So she took it, and she hung it out to dry for her dad. The only thing that she could reach was a rusty wheelbarrow. So she hung it over the rusty wheelbarrow. And when her dad came home, she so proudly said, Dad, I dried your favorite shirt. And she took him outside and she showed it to him. And he got angry and he yelled at her. He said, how could you do this to my favorite shirt? Right, because there's this huge rust stain that wouldn't come out. And so the rest of her life, she, she kept interpreting everything through that reality, even what God is like, because that's what she remembered. And it was evil. After counseling and walking with Jesus for a while, she told her counselor, I now understand. Jesus is the exact opposite of my father. He would have taken that shirt off the wheelbarrow. He would have given me a hug and he would have said, thank you so much. And then he would have worn it to work the next day with a hole and rust all around it and said, look at what my daughter did for me. And he would have been so proud. And seeing what G, who Jesus is and even seeing the evil that's been done to you through Jesus enables you to say, this really is wicked. It's actually so wicked that, that wickedness put Jesus on a cross. He was the righteous one and wickedness took him to the cross. And so he actually hates what happened to you more than, more than you do. 
And he says, one day it's all going to be paid for and made right. And you can name that evil because it's the opposite of Jesus, but you can actually begin to be healed because what has been done to you doesn't have to define you anymore. But Jesus and his love and his tender care can actually reshape you. And you're actually free. Free to share what's been done to you. I'm not saying you have to. Free to confront it. Free to tell the authorities if you should. And actually free to forgive. And so I'll I'll bring us to a close this morning. This really is calling us, no matter the situation, whether it's today or in March or in December of 2023, if the Lord doesn't come back for them, to bless and to remember. And the foundation of all is remembering God and his benefits that are crystallized 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus on a cross. Because at the end of the day, what David is doing, if you think about it, he is making himself remember that God has not forgotten him. Because that's our deepest fear. Right? Isn't our deepest fear, what, that's my fear in life and death, what if I'm forgotten? What if I'm forgotten not only by other people, what if I'm forgotten about God and I don't, by God and I don't matter? I think it's C.S. Lewis who says hell is being eternally forgotten, I think. And David is remembering that God has remembered him. And we know more than David. Because what we actually can cling to is the fact that God became a man in the person of Jesus on Christmas 2,000 years ago. And he went to the cross. You know what happened? He was forgotten. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he takes my sin and your sin and shame, and he bears it on himself so that he is forgotten, so that you and I will always be remembered. We are always before his face, always before his smile, by faith. This is what he's inviting us to, to be remembered by the eternal king of this universe and to have his steadfast love on you in 2023. He will not forget you. It's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, the simple fact that your eternal son invites us to call you father, uh, it's, it's astounding because it means you show compassion on us. Uh, you are merciful and gracious, and we, we need to know that this morning. Uh, we bless you. We praise you. You're worthy. But also in our places of suffering, in our places of guilt, in our places of being scarred by others in the world, in places of loneliness, feeling forgotten, even in places of joy, uh, by your Spirit, would you help us? Help us to remember. Help us to see your character and your promises. Help us to see Christ crucified and resurrected. In Jesus' name, amen.